Welcome to Ahead on Healthcare. Today, I'm joined by my buddy Houdini Abtai, healthcare advisory partner at Ahead. And today's topic is somewhat interesting. We're going to talk about what we've entitled the invisible hospital. Um, the question we started to ask is, are we moving away from the traditional brick and mortar hospital altogether? You know, given some of the advances in technology, think from quantum computing to telehealth and cloud and AI technologies, it seems like, you know, the hospital that we know may no longer exist, you know, in a few years. If you look at things like um, the advances in AI in particular and things like chat GPT, you know, the technology advancing at such a high rate, we may not need to go into the hospital. So that we're going to be talking about that today. We're joined today by Tom Kiesel. Tom is the CEO or CIO, I should say. I just gave you a promotion, Tom, um, for Chartus and a leader of the digital transformation practice. Prior to um, uh, assuming that role at Chartus Digital, Tom led the strategy practice. He has over 20 years of experience. Um, he's advised some of our nation's leading children's hospitals, health centers, um, faculty practice groups, you know, integrated health systems. Tom has a lot of amazing experience that hopefully we'll tap into uh, today and during this discussion. Tom, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me, Jay. So let me let me kick this off. You know, one of the things that I thought about that I think is interesting, you know, the whole idea of the doctor's visit. And, you know, we've dramatically changed from you think back in the olden days where you would you know doctors would make house calls and all the stuff and almost with telehealth you know we've gotten back to the doctor you know being in the household again where um, it's radically changed what we used to think about um, in terms of doctor's visit that the pandemic kind of drove a lot of that to be honest but I think that that's kind of contributing to this idea of, you know, do we need this, you know, to go actually to the hospital or go to the doctor's office? Because everything's really, you know, it's on your phone. Tom or Pudini, what do you, what do you guys think about that? Well, I, I think we saw the explosion in the pandemic, right? There's no question that the, uh, the necessity of no other option certainly pushed a lot of healthcare consumers into the choice of you either don't get care or, you adapt and you adapt quickly to this virtual modality. You know, we track this throughout the pandemic. We've continued to do it kind of a little less frequently. We were doing it weekly during the pandemic to look at utilization of virtual versus in-person. And it actually spiked over 50% at one point, kind of the peak of the pandemic and is nationally going to come back down. It's, it's now down into the, you know, the mid teens and, and in some markets much lower and in some markets a little bit higher, but I think it, it's unequivocally the future of where we're going to see healthcare go. The big challenge is just what needs to remain in a physical side of care and how do we just think differently about what we can do virtually? And, and even to your, your starting point there, Jay, it's, it's more than just the physician interaction too, right? It's what are all the things we could do with the physician overseeing a set of interactions and personnel and clinicians and care team members that reduces the dependency on a us getting care, like all of us saying, I need to go see a doctor as opposed to I need to get care. And that may be technically mediated. It may be through bots. It may be through lower skilled clinical resources, right? I, I think that's all, we're seeing all that start to change just given the access issues that everyone's grappling with. 
Yeah, and I think, um, you know, it's interesting. You made me think about something, but using things like AI and even ChatGPT to do a lot of the administrivia that both staff and doctors had to do, both in the hospital and out of the hospital. Again, you know, I've talked to a few doctors. That's the focus on not doing that stuff. Because, you know, if you're a doctor, you can go 12 years of college to, you know, do administrative stuff. You really want to focus on delivering care and treating patients. And I think that's the other thing. And that's why I think this may pick up some steam because doctors will be focused more on really asking and caring for patients, even if it's through, you know, a computer screen or a phone, but it's really about how do you feel and how are you doing? And I think that will also help drive this. You know, the cloud is kind of another thing that, you know, Houdini and I, we do a lot of stuff with, cloud technology. I don't know, Houdini, you, I think you had something you were going to bring up with cloud. Yeah, I appreciate it, Jay. You know, one thing, you know, to kind of uh, mention what Tom was mentioning too, as far as telehealth, you know, um, the other thing you think about the elderly population and where uh, a lot of them may live nowadays, right? If you think about the new normal, people work remotely, people are valuing their, their, their work-life balance more and they want to, they want to live and work where they, where they are. Um, you think about the rural population and elderly population, they don't want to drive in to the, go to the doctor's offices anymore. I feel like um, if they can see a face on the computer and they can do their telehealth appointment, a lot easier for them, especially for, you know, people that are not in the immediate city uh, vicinities. But I think the elderly population is really embracing telehealth and, and, and going that route versus taking, you know, a couple hours out of their day to drive across town. Uh, in traffic to sit there for another hour and wait. Whereas if you can make an appointment on telehealth, the appointment time is usually not delayed, which I think, you know, a lot of us have seen in the past that you'll go to a doctor's office and wait in the waiting room for who knows how long. And then you go to the back room and you're waiting there as well. But I think the telehealth um, movement has kind of made people want to do that more just to save on time as well. So yeah, I think there's a, there's a big factor there of, you know, we've seen kind of both sides of it. And, and it kind of ties to something you were saying too, Jay, which is physicians wanting this is, this is a big change for everybody. And I think one of the, the downsides of the pandemic is everyone had to respond so quickly that we didn't get to build solutions that were, you know, frankly, that, that were good, right? We, we kind of threw stuff out and just as quickly as humanly possible, tried to, to make up and, and bridge the gap to patients. And one of the things we saw was a lot of dissatisfaction from physicians and from patients. And it, it kind of got used by the, no offense, this is in every industry, but the laggards to say, see, people don't want this. And we heard a lot of doctors saying, patients don't want this. But Houdini, I come back to your point. If the experience doesn't suck, if it's really built around what that consumer, that patient needs and their specific situation, and we simplify it for them, the results and, and the satisfaction levels are actually really, really high. The problem is we, we don't often do that true kind of candid assessment of, is the experience optimized for the discrete consumer that we're trying to serve, right? If you're trying to serve you know, my, my 80-something-year-old mother, it's very different than trying to serve me. And, and the degree of complexity that I'll tolerate versus what she will, we'll have very different experiential reviews of that, which will dictate if we want to use it again. And so I, I do think there's, because of the, the speed that we all got forced into, there's, there was, we're seeing this reckoning now of organizations trying to get their arms around, how do we make the experience, you know, again, directly and bluntly, just not suck as much as it can and make this something that's really powerful for consumers. 
it's interesting because the um, the whole idea of, of experience, right, uh, be it patient experience or staff experience or doctor experience, I think that may play a role in this too, right? Because I think we're as consumers, we're we're loyal to no one. Right. So, um, if and that's the same thing that's happening in finance. If you think about uh, how the financial industry or services industry has has transformed, where you had you know folks being local to their bank, people don't care, <laughs> right? Like uh, it, whomever can provide the service I want in the way I want it, um, so that I can do what I want when I want. That's who they're loyal to. And I think the same thing will probably drive to a large extent our healthcare and our, the services that deliver within healthcare. I cut you off. Go ahead. No, no worries. No worries at all. Uh, you know, you, and the other thing, Jay, you mentioned a good point around, you know, cloud enabled tech uh, and kind of where uh, the movement of things are going. Um, obviously, we're talking about telehealth, um, but I, I think you and I, when we talk to customers, we're always hearing about we want everything in the cloud. We don't want to be on premise. We don't want to be in the data center business anymore. That's not our specialty or our sweet spot. You know, we're obviously you and I are hearing a lot around, you know, is cloud stuff safe? Is it secure? How does that affect, you know, patient uh, confidentiality? And how can how can all these types of things help improve the health outcomes? Because in the end, that's the most important thing. You know, I'd love to give Tom, your thoughts on how you see cloud-enabled tech kind of moving moving forward uh, in this new age? Yeah, well, you hit the nail on the head. There's a lot of, and it's, it's similar to the consumer uh, the consumer context, right? There is a degree of concern and fear, and let's be honest, a lot of health systems could have built to be safe and conservative, right? This isn't about taking any sort of unnecessary risk, but you look at where a lot of the market forces are or pushing healthcare and, and the home is is unequivocally going to be a more central and a more essential component of healthcare delivery in the future. So you could go to the high end acuity that hospital at home, right? There's nearly 300 hospitals that have signed up for the CMS waiver, large scale programs really ramping up and coming online. And think about the degree of the, essentially the, the high criticality of information coming out of those those patients' homes, right? These are acute level. If they weren't in their hospital at home uh, setting, they would be in a hospital bed, brick and mortar hospital bed. And we have to be able with absolute certainty to be able to communicate with the patient on the care team's trigger. We have to be able to receive telemetry, not necessarily full telemetry data, but certainly remote patient monitoring information. We've got to be able to send messages back and forth. I mean, there is a high degree and all those things interplay such that do we really want all of that trying to be transited back to a central data center or should more of that be getting pushed into the cloud, more edge computing, doing more active management closer to the patient? It has to become something we solve for. We're going to have more inbound data coming in. And so I get the concern. I get the fear of how do we move to the cloud? How do we protect the, the patient's data? How do we maintain privacy? But we have to, right? It, it's not a question of, if we do it, those capabilities are coming. And if we don't solve for them and we try to work it back into the old school technical infrastructure, it's just going to become increasingly high risk of failure. And, and in those situations, you just can't have failure states. That's interesting. I think the um, when I think about kind of patient information, kind of I was reading an article on um, in health tech about the, the liberation of patient information, but it, it it kind of is interesting because if two things converge, it's, it explodes the possibilities. But if they don't, because of some of the things you're mentioning, Tom, the, 
security and kind of patient information concerns, you know, it'll set us back for a while. What I mean by that is if you think about it, there's tons of information that could be leveraged for clinical studies and um, to improve treatment and and kind of the uh, the methods used for treatment and even from a you know rigid in the pharmaceuticals you know how we actually treat and and test and what we do in terms on the drug side, but a lot of the information you know has to be available and accessible both by patients and by those folks doing those studies, which then brings in kind of a interesting conundrum where you still want to protect the patient's information, but you want to be able to use it for these types of things. I think the, the thing that we've done at Ahead is we've consulted folks in terms of how secure, in most cases, cloud environments are just because they have to be, um, given the fact that they are kind of co-mingling um, you know, hundreds, thousands of companies' data, and they have to ensure that type of, or provide that type of of security and do it from an economies of scale perspective, you have to. But I'm wondering, Tom, do you agree? Do you think that I mean that's kind of a the ultimate, some of the ultimate benefits of some of this stuff and kind of enable us to stay at home if we can converge data and patient information and the use of AI and I don't want to say quantum computing because I think that has a way to go, but if we can converge some of this stuff, I'm even thinking um, which we already do on the payment side, right? Yeah. When it starts to converge, it, it just kind of balloons opportunities um, for you know the person sitting at home. Absolutely, and I think it's it, there are a lot of uh, correlated benefits to it, right? A lot of the stuff happening in the, for that that context of the patient at home or in a virtual instance, we have actually more data, most likely in, in those touch points because we are going to be tracking and documenting through the systems every communication every patient message, every question, everything that the patient does, we can now start to ingest as an interaction in that broader health delivery data set. Then now we can start using that to look at, you know, again, for, for even for research, what are the leading indicators of you know, patient inquiries or things that otherwise we wouldn't be able to track in a physical site of care because it's just they're asking a person a question and there's no documentation or capture of that interaction necessarily you can start to bring all of that into a data lake that now you can start to apply a much broader AI capability against it to say, here are things that may be of concern. It still is going to have to be mediated by a human in the near term. We're going to have to have it pop to clinicians. But think of the alerts we could potentially start to give to clinicians that are much, much more actionable and impactful. And based on all those factors that we've never been able to bring into the data set before, based on, again, these when patients start asking these kinds of questions... Again, maybe it's a clinical issue, maybe it's a psychosocial issue. How can we intervene and make sure we're able to take care of that patient in a in a more proactive and thoughtful way? Completely agree. It's interesting too. Um, you know, when I think about again the hospital stay and all the things that are coming out. You know, talk about AI, talk about quantum, but you also have wearables and wearable technology. Mm -hmm. I talked about mobile. We talked about telemedicine predictive analytics and how that's going to kind of play into being able to provide faster, more specific care, um, remote patient monitoring. We've talked about data sharing a little bit. I mean, all these things are, I think, and, and, and we kind of touched on kind of tangentially the whole payment and payor kind of side of, of the house where that's already for the most part converging. It'll probably converge more, but 
I don't know. I, I mean, I think uh, there'll probably come a time when um, we won't need to go to the hospital. But I, I mean, um, I know Houdini, you and I were talking about a little bit of this, but I don't think, I don't want to say it's going to be like within five to 10 years, but I think it's coming fast. But you have a perspective, Houdini, on that? Yeah, it's interesting you bring that up. Um, you know, at the beginning of the pandemic, you know, I, I think we all remember that a lot of uh, surgeries and things were were optional at the time. One thing that wasn't optional was um, cancer treatment. Um, so a, a big issue when the beginning of the pandemic started was how do people get chemotherapy from home? Um, sounds dangerous. It's a little bit tricky, but there's, there's things that, you know, we've seen that, you know, with, with cancer patients, when um, the pandemic started, people felt, felt isolated, right? So um, some companies had talked about sending out Alexa or Google devices where people can talk to other people in their community who also have cancer, but then have the chemotherapy treatment sent to their house because they weren't allowed to go to uh, a hospital or to get those treatments, but obviously they needed to have those treatments done. So it was almost like, um, you know, having that personal touch with other people that are going through the same struggles as themselves. But also to your point, Jay, it's treatment or medicines being sent to the home so that it can be self, self-given to them. And I think, right, you know, that started during the pandemic. And I think that's going to continue to happen just because it's, it's more efficient. So those are the things I've, I've kind of seen change because to your point, uh, the brick and mortar hospitals of the future probably won't be around as much um, because you think about the cost of real estate and things like that. Uh, of running these facilities, it's exponentially higher versus care being sent to your home. So, I agree. And, and Tom, I guess not putting you on the spot, but so so if I had to place a bet, would you say five years, ten years? We don't see any. Uh, <laughs> I'm being funny, but I, 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 what, do you, what do you think? I mean, it, it's it just seems like, and and I guess the other side of it too. There's there's a uh, given COVID. There's kind of a moderate concern about hospitals, right? What I think it's a necessity, right? I mean, I, we, we certainly, there are players out there. I, I think you could point to the early adopters who are who are in some of the spaces. And again, I go to the most extreme kind of acute hospital at the home, being the home is, is the starting point, right? And you look at the Mass General Brigham's of the world, right? Shooting for bringing 200 virtual beds online in the coming years, right? Atrium Health and that part of now Advocate Health also shooting for large scale transformation. There are a lot of other health systems looking at how do we get into that space? How do we provide that service? Because it's objectively better in a lot of ways. You know, I think it's it's not hard to conceive and I'll, I'll shamelessly uh, steal this, this kind of perspective from one of the leaders in hospital at home nationally, Dr. Bruce Leff, is it's not hard to imagine a future where hospitals become ICUs and ORs, right? Just the typical med surge patient, they're generally not at risk of decompensating so quickly that they need to be in a hospital in that very moment, right? We just, we need to be able to monitor them. We need to track them. We need to be able to administer medications. And when you start working backwards to, okay, so what must be true to be able to do that? It's actually a lot less impractical than you'd think. It brings up new issues you'd never think about having to solve for. Like, you know, the the infusion case you're talking about, well, how are we going to deal with potentially toxic medication, the leftovers that are in their in their infusion bags, they have to be disposed of. So now we've got a different set of challenges, but we can solve way harder problems than that. It's just a new problem and there's lots of little new problems, but for the most part, they're solvable. 
and it's preferred by patients and it's better for patients. You've got lower risk of secondary infections. You've got better retention of cognitive function. You've got less falls, all these things in the home. Patients are happier. Patients are getting what they want and it's cheaper. And at the end of the day, put all these things together. We're about to go into an acute capacity crisis in this country. Mm-hmm. So in my mind, you know, back to your question, Jay, what's the timeline? The timeline better be in the next 10 to 15 years or we're in trouble because the baby boomers are aging into the highest utilization period of their lives. And if you look at most academic health centers across the country, kind of the destination places people are going to, they're already exceeding capacity. And so if we're going to increase inpatient utilization because people are getting older, we don't have a solution. We're going to be acknowledging as a system, we're going to be treating patients in the hallways and conference rooms, and that's not better than treating them in the home, right? So everyone has to be thinking, any health system that isn't thinking about the home and specifically hospital and home in light of their capacity, it is looking to just build their way out of the problem. The dark side of that coin is in 30 years, the baby boomers are largely going to be gone, right? And we're going to have a little bit of a trough. What happens to all that capacity then that's halfway through its useful life? So to me, it's, it's not a question of if or should. We need to. We have an obligation to be able to, to do this. And other countries have figured it out. We're just behind in the U.S. right now. I completely agree, Tom. It's interesting. You made me think about another thing, too, around kind of the... Um the the resourcing side of healthcare, meaning, you know, we have shortages when you look at kind of the nursing doctor population given demand, the increasing cost of, you know, how much does it cost to go to medical school and go to nursing school? Those costs aren't going down. So I think there will come a, a nexus where, to your point, we're really going to have to catch up. So I guess the, the, the question I would pose for you guys is, you know, as kind of good stewards and kind of trusted advisors of, you know, some of our clients in the healthcare space, how should we be preparing them? What should we be, what should our role be in trying to kind of usher them into a spot where um, they can see the light at the end of the tunnel and the light doesn't, isn't a train kind of <laughs> mowing them down uh, at the end of the day. I and mean, what, what role do you think we should play? Well, I, I think we all have, in, in the context of the work that, that we do and our consulting engagement with our clients and the work that you guys do and the kind of things we do together, I mean, you think about all of the, the challenges of serving these, these patients. Again, some of them are processed, some of their clinical care model. To this day, the biggest challenge you hear when you talk to leaders of these hospital at home programs, though, is often you know the, the technology solutions just they're still early stage, the connectivity into the home, the ability for like all of the, the technical infrastructure and building the capability to serve these patients is still really nascent. And so I think there, this is an area where you know we're, we're collectively kind of being brought in to say, well, we have to solve these functional and operational needs that dictates a new set of technical requirements. And you have to be able to advance all of those battlefronts at once. You can't do one without the other. And they're, they're structurally dependent. And I think that's a lot for any health system to be able to do. So how do they do that? How do they make it economically viable? And, and I think that's our job as advisors is to help them see how this is going to be economically sustainable and see very, very clear steps of how to get there. I think, I think yeah. I'm, I'm sorry, go ahead, Houdini. That's okay. Uh, I was just going to say, you know, I think that's a good point, Tom. You know, that's some, something I think about is, you know, pre-pandemic, the hospital 
of the past. If you look at the 1950s and the 2000s, the hospital really hasn't changed, right? But what's what's tricky about the healthcare industry in general is usually they've been laggards or resistant to change. Now, obviously the pandemic and telehealth has kind of forced the change, but going to a hospital in the 1950s and going to a hospital in the 2000s, one of the main things that's changed is technology. And obviously we now know that, you know, change has to inevitably happen. And if you think about simple things like our, our daily lives, if you don't have Wi-Fi at your home, you're dead in the water, right? It's, those are the things that have been kind of pushing us towards that instant need, instant access to things, whether it's working from home or, or having telehealth. Um, but if you think about it, like just that small change, I mean, hospitals have just changed dramatically and just in the last few years from, you know, the last 50 years, it was the same, same old experience. Go to a doctor, go to the hospital, you know, have a doctor come visit you. I mean, nothing really changed for 40 to 50 years. So. It's interesting, um, Houdini, you're talking about that. I think one, one of the things that we, Tom, may have you back to talk about is um, if you look at kind of healthcare costs and technology and kind of this paradigm we're talking about is kind of driving folks to get more treatment at home. You know, healthcare costs, if you look 20 years ago, I think it was on, on average per person about $2,800. That's 20 years ago. 10 years ago, jumped to about $4,700. I want to say three to four years ago, it was like $75,000, $8,000 on average per person. Yeah. So I think, you know, if you think about it, there's probably, this is kind of talking about nexus and convergence. I think technology and kind of point of care is going to also start to help drive some of these costs down that, you know, folks are also concerned about. I mean, things for the most part aren't getting cheaper. Um, however, using technology may help in alleviating some of that cost burden. And that might be another thing that's kind of, uh, kind of one of those, um, some of the additional fuel, rocket fuel, that's kind of think going to drive us um, to the point of, of using this technology more and more. I think it's exactly right, Jay. I think, but we have to think about how we're going to use technology, you know, use the cliche. We're not trying to pave the cow paths that we've created over the last 50 years, right? Of This is how you interact, right? You, an individual patient dictates that I need to see a doctor and now we can have that interaction with the doctor over a video interact over a video visit, right? It's like, that's fine, but that's not really going to create the the scale and the reach that we need to. And it's not really reducing the cost, right? We've still got that expensive, highly trained physician as the center of all contact for the patient. We've got to be able to use the technology to, to extend and franchise that expertise in a way that allows us to actually systematically reduce the cost, right? We need to have more that gets handled without human hands, frankly, ever touching it. And a lot of that will be administrative to start is simplifying like scheduling that the fact that most scheduling in most health systems is still done by phone call today is easy, low hanging fruit. I don't mean it's easy to change. It is extremely complicated to change, but that is low hanging fruit that consumers want that healthcare organizations want. And it's a change management and culture issue to get kind of your, your care teams on board. But we have to think differently about all the things, the ways we've historically done it and what technology allows us to do now. And that's how we can rebuild the process in completely new ways, tech enabled, and it will reduce cost. It will be more cost effective in really every facet of care delivery, you know, administrative through clinical contact. Yep. 
Well, this has been uh, a great conversation. Tom, well, like I said, we'll have you back because we know there's a brought up like several things, good kind of subsequent conversations to talk about. Okay. Obviously, you guys at Chartist are kind of in the middle of all this stuff, so it'd be good to kind of continue to pick your brain. But, uh, but thank you uh, for a great conversation, providing a lot of great insights. Houdini, thank you as, as well. Uh, my partner in crime, I know you'll always uh, be around and on these with me. So um, to our audience, thanks for listening. Look forward to another insightful conversation on Ahead in Healthcare um, soon.